seventh grader. Like, that's insane. I I swear we have the same maturity level. He's a seventh grader. (laughs) Is this how it feels to be Gonzaga? So did uh, North Carolina... Did, you get some did, they bots? Bought, did they buy some votes? Did they buy some bots? You're okay. questioning the stability of the Bengals. Wow. <laughs> this is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. It is our privilege to welcome in the newest member of the BYU men's basketball team, graduate transfer Matt Harms on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline. Matt, officially, welcome to BYU Sports Nation. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be a part of the BYU family. Well, you've already gone full team BYU, putting out videos to ask for votes in the Fox College Hoops Ultimate Fan Bracket. What kind of social media welcome have you received from BYU fans since your announcement? Uh, it's been absolutely awesome so far. You know, just in the days leading up to my commitment, I got a lot of support. Um, so just seeing that, and now after I committed, I got a bunch of people reaching out. Um, you know, just even people from around from around West Lafayette are reaching out to me and just congratulating me on um, on being part of the family now. So it's been awesome. Matt, I noticed that you got a haircut. Your hair was a thing. It had its own Twitter account. What went into that decision? Um, I I've had it for four years. Um, four years ago, I, I had a buzz cut and I grew it out and then I went to the, what I had. Uh, so then I was like, maybe it's time to just hit the reset button again, but I hit it at the wrong time. Cause now I can't get a haircut anywhere. Uh, so it's kind of growing out now, but so it might be growing out by the time I get to Provo again. So. Hey, there, hey, there you go. Yeah. We'll find you a barber, uh, when everything calms down in Provo for sure. Uh, Matt, why did you choose to play for Mark Pope and BYU when you clearly had several other high level options? Um, you know, the, the, the thing I'd start with right away is that I didn't, you know, consider BYU as any less than those options. Uh, you know, from, from the, from the start, it just became clear to me that BYU was a great option for me. And that's the reason, you know, they stuck around all the way. And that's the reason I'm going to BYU now. Uh, coach Pope and his staff made such an amazing impression on me. Uh, they did a great job recruiting me and really laying out a plan. So they just, when it came, all it came down to it, you know, it was BYU felt like the place I wouldn't want to miss out on for this year. And that's the reason I picked them. It's certainly a special, and in our biased opinion, we think it's the best option, absolutely. But Mark Pope has told us of some unique recruiting ideas that he put into play. Give us an idea of what he did to recruit you in a situation where you didn't come to Provo and see it for yourself. It was all virtual, right? Right. Uh, I mean, it was a lot easier for me you know, than for a guy that's making a choice for maybe four, maybe five years even. Uh, you know, for a guy that's only going to be there for a maximum of 12 months. Um, it was a lot easier, you know, to make that choice without being in Provo. But I definitely feel bad for those guys that have to make that decision for the next four or five years. Uh, but for me, you know, all the information that I felt like uh, like was essential to my decision, um, I was able to get from those, like, video calls and just being on the phone with Coach Pope and staff. So what did they do in those video calls that helped persuade you that BYU would be a great option? Right. So we did um, – we just had some meetings, you know, we just talked about what they thought my role was going to be, talked about play style, talked about how I fit into that. And, uh, you know, there was also like a, uh, I guess you could call it a, a, a virtual visit. Uh, you know, it was a, just a quick little run through Coach Pope had. Uh, had coaches set up all throughout the facility. Uh, and he would he, he was in the, the conference room in his office. And he would just be like, okay, now we're going to Coach Burgess. And Coach Burgess would be down in the locker room. He'd do a quick little tour. So he his thing was like, we know you don't really care about all the facility stuff, but we want you to see it. Uh, so we did a super quick tour of that. But outside of that, just a lot of being on the phone and talking about the team and how I fit into it. 
That's the best workout that Mark Pope and his coaching staff have had in the last year, showing you around <laughs> that virtual tour. Uh, Matt Harms with us on BYU Sports Nation. You said you feel like Mark Pope specifically can help you pursue an NBA career better than any other option on the table at this point. Why is that? Uh, you know, Coach Pope's been through it. Uh, you know, actually, I think I caught him. I, I caught him yesterday. He made a little cameo on the last dance. I think somewhere in the first couple of minutes. Yeah, I saw him running around on the Pacers. Then, um, so you know, he's a guy that's been at that level. You know, he's stuck around. You know, he, he likes to downplay it a little bit, but you know, he like he always said that he was the worst player in the, in the NBA and he shouldn't have stuck around. <laughs> but you know, he, he was an extremely good, like talented player, like really hard worker, uh, and that's what it takes to stick around. So you know, he. That's that's the credit to him, you know, and that's something that I want to learn. I want to learn from a guy like that. Uh, you know, Coach Burgess as well. He's a great coach, I think, for me as a player. Um, so just how it was all in place to be a big man and be able to develop, that was just a huge part of it for me. And last year we saw some tremendous development from not only Yoli Childs in his low post game and his perimeter game, but Colby Lee had a tremendous year as well. And they took their, their strengths and really accentuated them. So I'm excited to see how that plays out for you. For those who haven't seen you play, describe how you play the game. Um, well, you know, I'd like to start out by saying that I play with a whole lot of energy. Uh, you know, that's something that I really value playing with a whole lot of energy, playing hard every single possession. Uh, that's where it starts. You know, I'm not a guy that like starts with, oh, I got to get a couple buckets first, you know, before I get going. I'm, I'm coming out, I'm coming straight with that energy the whole game. Uh, that's where my game starts. And then I think I've been most known so far for my, um, ability on defense, you know, protecting the rim, blocking shots. But something that, you know, really helped me in the decision to choose BYU as well is that uh, Coach Pope had a great plan in place to really expand my offensive game um, and for me to be a big part of offense on this team. So that was um, that's kind of where I'm looking to go. Hey, you said it. High energy, man. And you buried the lead. You're 7'3", man. You're 7'3", <laughs> oh, yeah. bro. Forgot about that one. <laughs> <laughs> what, what size shoe do you wear? Uh, I only wear a 15, so I credit that to being able to, you know, run around and have have that energy without, you know, Size 22 is weighing me down. <laughs> exactly. exactly. This is a great point. Uh, let's stay with the energy theme. How do you plan on maximizing one of the biggest student sections in the country, if not the biggest, uh, when you're on the floor in Provo? Oh, I mean, it's just been really cool to see. You know, the coaches are sending me some videos, you know, throughout my recruitment of how awesome the fan support has been. Uh, and, you know, I really didn't expect it. You know, I really didn't expect um, a 19,000-seat stadium. Um, you know, I, I come from a place where we had 14,000, 15,000 people in the stands every night, and I thought that was ridiculous. Uh, you know, just to see a stadium of 19,000, you know, to see it when it was sold out um, was just insane. So I'm really excited to be able to play in front of all of them. You know, um, they seem absolutely insane. Uh, and, and, of course, the best way possible. So I'm, I'm super excited for that. Yeah, BYU's coming off its last home game, which was unbelievable against Gonzaga. It was this amazing display, this amazing flex, and maybe something that – influenced you was that something that you saw did you notice when BYU beat Gonzaga yeah I mean I I was noticing BYU all year uh, you know as they climbed through and they kept climbing up the rankings which is you know it's really tough for a team that's not in a power six conference um, to climb up to those rankings just to see them you know every week they'd be climbing up a couple spots you know to see what the, the team they had and the quality of players uh, and how coach Pope was you know able to, to do that in just one one year uh, already having such a successful team that was what Huge impression on me. In terms of a timeline, when did BYU first pop into your life as a real option that you could come to Provo and play? Um, probably. So I entered my name in the transfer portal like this point, probably three weeks ago, I think. Exactly three weeks ago on Monday. Uh, they probably on Monday, Tuesday. You know, those 
those days are a blur to me now. Like there were so many people reaching out. Uh, so I think, you know, it was coach Robinson uh, reaching out probably Monday or Tuesday, just some of those initial days. When you look at the opportunity you have in one year to try and make an impact, you'll be one of two seniors at this point on this team. Uh, do you feel like you're expected to come in and be a leader as one of only two seniors? Uh, of course, you know, I'm a guy that has uh, an expectation of excellence. You know, every single year, um, that there has been a tournament. I've been to the Sweet 16 or further, uh, you know, making it to the Elite Eight once uh, and even going to the Sweet 16 a year I was registering. So, you know, I'm a guy that has an expectation of not only making the tournament, but going far in the tournament. Um, you know, so I'm hoping to bring that expectation to BYU and, you know, really do something special. Which NBA player do you try and pattern your game after, if there is one? Uh, I mean, there's a couple guys I really respect. You know, of course, I respect the, the European bigs, the kind of the modern European bigs, like Christoph Zingas, Larry Mark, and I really respect those guys offensively. Uh, but on defense, I really uh, another European guy. I really look at Rudy Gobert as well. Uh, you know, just the impact he has on defense. You're seven foot three. You're from the Netherlands, right? Um, what and and it's pronounced Harms. Are we saying it correctly? Uh, yeah, that's fine. That's, uh, that works. What's the native pronunciation? Uh, well, uh, if you say it in Dutch, Dutch is just such a different language to English that um, you know my dad would say um, Harms. Ha- Harms. Okay, we, we could try that. We could try that. Um, when did, Just did stick you, with arms, it's fine. <laughs> when did, you have no accent. When, when did you move to the U.S., or are you from the United States? Uh, so I, I grew up in the Netherlands for 17 years. Uh, then I played my last year of under 18s in Spain. Uh, and then for my uh, senior year of high school, I went to Kansas, Wichita, Kansas, where I played my, so my last year of high school. So I've been here for about five years at this point. Matt, we can't wait for you to get to Provo, and uh, trust me, if you decide to grow the hair out, you will be welcomed with open arms on campus in Provo, man. <laughs> That's good to hear. All right, Matt, thanks for the conversation today. We'll talk to you again soon. Stay safe. Thank you so much for having me. Matt Harms, BYU basketball graduate transfer on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline via Skype. Deseret First, you know why we show how. It's such a big get for BYU, literally, and, and uh, you know, uh, you know, emotionally or whatever, but the top grad transfer available. Seven three is going to come in, and I imagine start right away and uh, have a major impact on the team. Every other potential transfer recruit sees BYU and Mark Pope now in the mix, and oh, that guy went there. Maybe, hmm, maybe, maybe I should take a look. Maybe I should. And the amazing recruiting and sort of the miracles of Mark Pope continue. Right, last year was like, whoa, Yoli Childs and Jake Toulson and Alex Parsons. It's like. Who else is coming? I expect someone else to show up. I expect someone else to show up. Is this how it feels to be Gonzaga? (laughs) (laughs) With winning in the tournament? That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Diane Gunwoloku is one of the newest members of the Los Angeles Rams. It has been a rocky traverse at times for Gunwoloku, who was once a Liberian immigrant, and now he is playing in the National Football League. What's the story there? Well, we're about to tell you as we go Deep Blue, presented by Tim Daly Nissan with Diane Gunwoloku. My name is Diane Gunwoloku Lake. I was born in Liberia, that's West Africa, and I came here when I was five because it was like a civil war going on. He's come out and been open about how some things become a little bit harder to him as far as school and learning, and he's a a kid that is really the epitome of 
putting your head down and just working hard at something. We saw my mom for the first time. She picks it up at the Salt Lake Airport, and we're just like amazed, just like this place is big. You know, the minute I saw them get off the plane, the minute I saw Diane, we connected eyes, he just kind of melted my heart. So he was scared. He was just quiet, couldn't say anything. Me and my sister, it was our first time seeing like white people. So we're just like, what the heck is this? This lady's taking our hands, like taking us to a car. So we didn't know what was going on. And it was just a culture shock. The environment, like I said, I was switching the light switch off and on because it was all new to me. Seeing light, table, food. They brought us like chicken noodle soup. That was like our first meal we ate. And we also had to learn English, so it was hard to understand them and communicate. So we just freaked out until my dad actually came back to Utah and was like explaining everything to us. Everything was going to be good. I said, if you do come here, you have to work hard. You have to go to school, do everything you can. Quickly, batted up and intercepted. Did they get it? If they got it, it's over. It's over. The Cougars picked it off. And in overtime, they won it. Every game, I would write him a memo or a letter. I said, remember where you came from. Remember what I told you. So you play this game, you play with all your heart, you'll be successful. And that's what he always do. Play with all your heart. His story to his teammates and to the players is really a story of just triumph over difficulty, just having determination. And he's been fun to be around just because the odds were really against him as far as coming to a tough academic school. He's the kind of guy that when you give him a challenge, he'll just he'll surpass it. He'll, he'll overcome anything. And I probably made the mistake, which I think now is a good challenge, and just basically told him that, hey, a lot of people don't think he can make it here because school's so hard. That was the last we ever worried about his academics. Refused to be outworked, whether it's um, weight room, running sprints, or whatever the case may be, and classroom as well. You know, a guy who, who came in, an underdog as far as academic goes. He's really done a good job just fighting through all the things that he's had to and not really looking at it as a crutch, but something that's just determined him to get through his education. Diane has an incredible commitment to the contact of football. Maybe as much or more than any player I've ever coached. He really enjoys, with a smile, the contact part of the game. I just really like to hit. Like That's the one thing I separated like football and soccer. Like I said, I used to play soccer when I was little on a competitive team and I had to like decide which one. Football just really stops me. Just, I'm like, you get to hit kids? Like You get to hit other people? Like and is legal. I'm like, I got to for sure. <laughs> I got to for sure stick with football. Like, cause soccer, I used to get like penalties called on me, just like shoving little kids and everything's a foul on me. Like, so football, that was never the problem. Rewarded, obviously, for hitting kids. And I was like, I like that. A lot of guys will muster the courage necessary to make the play at the moment. A lot of guys enjoy being the aggressor when the angle is correct to, to make contact. Dian enjoys all contact, never flinches. It's particularly amongst DBs. I think there's, he's one of the best there is. Getting married to my wife, Madison, that was like one of the biggest highlights because she changed my life for sure. Because even here, I still, like I said, I was focused, but I wasn't all the way there focused in school or football, really. And getting married to her uh, last year, she just kept me in like a straight line, like had me organized and 
take care of my homework before I even like think about anything else like video games stuff like that she was always there to love me and take care of me and she deserves the world and that was just like a big highlight in my life and she's she's like one of those ride or die girls like I said she gives me that energy to and motivates me and pushes me to do better in my life I remember telling him once that doors would open and things would happen and that he would just be amazed with his family and and the people back home and and all those things if he continued to do what he needed to do and be strong in it remember your heritage remember those that fought for you to be here where you are you walk on the shoulders of giants so be proud of whatsoever wherever your son or daughter coming from you have proud in him as a human being first secondly you should have pride in him for what he is. He will always be on that and become somebody better in the future. What a career for Diane Gonwoloku. And Jason, you and I were just talking as we were watching that piece again about how many different ways he impacted the game and how many touchdowns he scored, whether it was a pick six against Boise State on the blue, a scoop and score fumble recovery against Cal, his running touchdowns in the bowl game against USC, and then, of course, the unforgettable interception to seal the win over USC in his senior season. He just was so impactful. Well, and I think it goes to a conversation that you and I were having on this show a week or maybe two weeks ago. I can't remember exactly when it was. We were talking about draft sleepers. And we both said Diane Gonwoloku could be one of those guys because of everything you just mentioned. All the guy did was make plays. It didn't matter the situation. He was always a playmaker, whether it was a big tackle, interceptions. You mentioned pick sixes, INTs. It, it just didn't matter. He was always around the ball making plays. And that, that, that completely defines his career at BYU. He's just a playmaker. Absolutely. Diane Gonwoloku, a member of the Los Angeles Rams. It's been fun to watch his career span from uh, Liberian immigrant to stand out at Northridge High School in Leighton, Utah, now to BYU. He switched positions a bunch of times, yeah. and wherever he went, he still made a difference. Um, he's a guy that I expect to be on an NFL roster. It might be a practice squad right now, but with his ability to impact the game with the contact and the durability, he's Bob Sanders to me, Jason. Yeah. He's Bob Sanders. I think he's going to last in the NFL. Well, and, and you know, I, I think practice squad, special teams, I mean, there's certainly, there's certainly a, a route to getting there. He has advantages there. But, but he, this, is, this is a guy that without question, if given the opportunity, will make the most of his chances. There's no question in my mind about that. Who was the best to wear it is a project that we have taken on this summer as we count up from zero to 99 and consider all athletes if they wore a jersey and who the best to wear a specific number was. Today we focus in on number four. Michael Smith is the best to wear it, number four. Now some conversation around Taysom Hill, of course. We'll get to that in a moment. But Michael Smith was unbelievable when he finished at BYU Spencer. He was number two in points and number one in rebounds. So good. He's still fourth in points and third in rebounds 31 years later. Woo. He was he was so good. He made the most threes of anybody 6'8 or taller in BYU history, by the way. 16th and made threes all time. 207 times in the BYU record book. All whack first teamer thrice. 13th pick to the Celtics yeah, in 89. First round draft pick 13th overall. Yep. Eight years of pro ball, 98 BYU Hall of Famer. Michael Smith was the truth. He came to BYU as... 
a three-sport All-American like Danny Ainge and in high school. High school quarterback. In, play, in fact, he's told the stories of playing intramurals at BYU and winning uh, championships. And uh, tremendous basketball player as well. And I believe baseball was the other. Yeah, that's right. And the dude could play professional golf if he really wanted to <laughs> yeah, as well. He's really good. Long-time Clippers broadcaster now with the Utah Jazz. Um, one of, one of our favorites, Michael Smith, all-timer, man. Michael Smith. If he were in the NBA draft, if, if the rules were in play, he would have been a lottery pick, right? Right. That's yeah. crazy. Okay, Taysom Hill, honorable mention. Let's walk through what Taysom An did at BYU. honorable mention, Taysom Hill. Uh, fourth most total offense in BYU history. Now, he had more starts than some guys like Steve Young and Jim McMahon and so on, but incredible number, almost 10,000. It's Detmer Hall Beck, and then it's Taysom Hill. His season in 2013, the only healthy season where he played all season, 2016, he almost gets there, right? He gets hurt at the end of the 12th game. He had 4,282 total offense. That's fifth most ever and the most in the last 30 years. Wow. He has the most rushing yards by any quarterback in BYU history. It's fifth most. He averaged 5.3 yards per carry, including sacks. That's 6.2 if you take out the sacks. I mean, Taysom Hill, to me, is the most athletic player in BYU history. More than Steve Young. More than Luke Staley. Taysom Hill and that number four, and it just you can't help but wonder what if. Oh. What if he doesn't get hurt in 2014 or 15? Then maybe does he work his way up in this conversation? He's the best to ever wear it because of the accomplishments I, that he has I, with help. I think perhaps because he would have had a 10 win season, he could have beaten Utah perhaps in 2015. Who knows in the bowl game? Maybe BYU plays in a different bowl game. And doesn't even play Utah. Like, I, I don't know. What's crazy is we all <laughs> remember specific performances. Like, he had a handful of all-time single-game performances yeah, just, at Houston, at Texas, at home versus Texas. Just incredible stuff. And here's my final stat on him. He never lost, uh, never lost a game by more than 15 that he started. So they were never blown out. They were in those games. You can't say that about everybody else. Yeah, even the game he got hurt at in the second quarter, Utah State. 35-20. loses by 15. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. A member of the NFL's Baltimore Ravens, former BYU running back Tyson Williams, joins us on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Tyson, the Ravens, man, congratulations. What do you think of your fit in Baltimore? Thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, it's a great fit. I mean, it's a team that likes to run the ball, and so uh, I think it'll be. I think it'll be a great fit. Would you say you're down with Big Trust? Oh yeah, most definitely, most definitely, most definitely. Big Trust all the way. <laughs> That's this phrase that the Ravens used last year. It's like, how would you explain that phrase, Tyson? Now that you're a Raven. Uh, big Trust. I mean, I guess it's just like having trust in each other. You know what I'm saying? Trusting in what they're doing and. The coaches is all the way around, so yeah, I feel like the, the more you trust your teammates, the more things uh, that you can accomplish. What was Saturday like for you in the madness of the NFL draft and working out uh, free agent deals and all that? So, just walk us through what that day was like for you. Oh man, it was uh, it was nerve wracking. So I, I thought like I was just trying to be hopeful. Um, well, I was being hopeful. Um, and, like anything could happen. Most most certainly, just trying to like thinking, okay, what what could happen if I um probably able to get drafted and stuff like that. And then just kind of wait until all that cleared up, um, which it didn't happen. And then after the draft, well, probably like the sixth or seventh round, I got a call from uh, the Ravens just saying, from my agent saying the Ravens were still interested. And uh, I was like, okay, okay, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. And then um, once everything just kind of cleared up, 
Um, yeah, I just kind of gave him a call. He was like, yeah, I mean, um, we're as fit as well, and um, just kind of worked out things uh, after that. Were there other suitors? Um, no, there weren't. Um, I think there's a lot of people who I, I talk to teams like um, throughout the draft process, but um, that was the Razors were the only team to uh, to offer um, a contract. So it made it an e- easy decision, certainly. Um, what? How did you feel about it specifically being the Ravens? Because I imagine since there was one suitor, you would have taken it no matter who it was. But the fact that yep. it's one of the most stable organizations in the league, a team that was the top seed in the in its conference last year going into the playoffs, uh, that all helps too, right? Yeah, yeah. That helps a lot. helps a lot. So, I mean, you kind of go, know what you're going to get into. Um, a great organization, great franchise, so. I think that's pretty much all you can ask. No question. Tyson Williams with us on BYU Sports Nation. Maybe most importantly, Tyson, what does your number one fan, your mom, Natasha, think about all of this? Oh, yeah. She was just she was just happy. She was just happy. She was just happy. Um, just like I said, just seeing how everything played out. Um, nonetheless, I think she was just happy just to see me um, get an opportunity. Walk us through what the plan is now, because normally you'd be showing up to rookie mini camp and getting familiar and getting to know the playbook a little bit. But here you are in a coronavirus situation where I, I imagine you're not going to the facility quite yet. You're kind of on standby. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, we're just kind of on standby right now. Just wait till everything clears up. You know, different states are, are doing different things. So just kind of when it kind of opens up for everyone, then we'll be able to move forward. But uh, everything pretty much right now is just online. Um, just have to meet with the coaches, um, doing virtual meetings and, and things like that. So um, the thing we have, uh, technology, we'll, oh, be, we'll, be, we'll be fine. Yeah, good thing, man. Uh, so it's Zoom calls with coaches you mentioned. Are they sending you the playbook? Are they encouraging specific physical activity? What What else is involved here? Uh, just right now, just um, – Still have to take care of some more leg things, just like getting the physical done and things like that. But uh, I mean, it's all relatively because I think they—I they, don't know if they—they uh, they were in yesterday. My agent was telling me so. Everything is just still kind of fresh, still kind of new, getting everything getting everything worked out. So um, it'll probably be like the next coming days we'll have everything figured out. Tyson, how are you feeling physically in your recovery from the knee injury and and everything? Essentially, how close to one hundred percent do you feel? I feel good. I feel good. My knee is good. I think the only thing is, like, I just need to continue just to add the muscle mass back on. So um, I've just been getting, been trying to work out and, and do things necessary that I need to do. But, um, yeah, I think that's that's pretty much been, that's been about it. I've been trying to run heels and things like that, just doing whatever I need to do and uh, not taking any days off because I really can't afford to. Coming out of high school, you were a four-star recruit. You're going to North Carolina. You end up at South Carolina, BYU. You have a, a you know a major knee injury. When did getting to the NFL, and to a certain degree, obviously you want to make it and play and be successful, but to a certain degree, this is a notable accomplishment, right? The fact that a team wants to sign you and has signed you. Um, so when, at what age uh, was this maybe a goal for you? Uh, I can't remember what age. I know I was probably like in elementary school. I just remember looking at uh, it was an NFL game, um, and I was just thinking to myself, like, I'll, I'll be here one day, you know. And uh, just from that point on, I just tried to really only thing I used to just say to myself, like, just try to be the best on the field. If you could be the best on the field, then I think you got a pretty good chance. So 
Uh, that just was always my mentality growing up, um, just trying to be the best and, and just continuing to put the work in. And, uh, you know, with, with, with that being said, you know, you, you do those things, I think you have a, a pretty good chance. So I could just live with it. Were you the best on the field when you were little? Uh, it depends on what age you're talking. It depends <laughs> on what age you're talking. Uh, I think probably like when I got to like middle school, sixth, seventh grade, I'll probably say that, but in my some of my earlier years, um, there were some other guys who I would say like are definitely a little bit better than me. And then we've chatted about this before, but in basketball, didn't didn't you play with John Morant? And I guess Zion Williamson is from South Carolina as well. Yep, uh, I, I play. I didn't play against some like um, like an organized game. It was kind of, well, it kind of was. It was like uh, the juniors versus the uh, freshmen, and we had like a little tournament. And uh, it was like the seniors versus sophomores, and that's when I played. That's when I was I was playing playing against him. And uh, yeah, he's he's always been special. Yeah, well, I'd like I, to see John Morant try and tackle you. Okay, I, are you saying you oh, played? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's see that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, both to have an advantage in our sport. <laughs> so did you play with both Zion and Ja, or was it mostly just Ja? No, it was Jock. Jock went to my high school, and so uh, Zion. I never played with Zion. Um, some some people from uh, my hometown did, you know, being that they play AAU and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't get to play against him. He'd be all right in football too, right? Yeah, yeah, he'd be pretty good. He'd be pretty good. <laughs> right Where would you he'll put like right like? Would he be a tight end? Would he be a tackle? Like, how would you use Zion? Um, I think for me, I'd probably have to say tight end. Um. Guys a freak, man, and being able to jump and move like that, being that big, I would definitely have to do a tight end. Hey, somebody that can block for you, that's for sure. Uh, while, yep. we're, while we're talking about notable names, uh, Mark Ingram, Lamar Jackson, they're now your teammates. The Ravens drafted J.K. Dobbins as well. Uh, yep. How do you plan to keep an even keel uh, when you walk into the locker room and, and you see guys like that? Uh, you just be yourself. Yeah, you just be yourself, you know what I mean? And, um, that kind of just takes care of everything, you know. So I've, I've, tried, I've been fine up until this point, and then I just continue to continue to be myself and um, get to working. I'm pretty sure all, all of us will have, that, will have that in common. Obviously, you want to prove that you are a running back that can make it in the NFL. But uh, what we've noticed is a lot of guys have to make their name for themselves on special teams. So how do you feel about yep. the prospect of being a guy on special teams? Uh, just whatever they ask me to do, um, I'll get it done. My first week at BYU, I was playing special teams. Um, well, it was like the first couple weeks um, in training camp. They had me like on the first, had me on uh, the first line of kick returns. You know what I mean? And uh, I mean, I wasn't gonna go up to anybody and be like, I mean, I'm not playing it. You know, if the coaches ask you to do something, you get it done. So that's always been my mentality. Hey, Tyson Williams, the Gunner. I'm I'm okay with that too. Yep. Congratulations again, man. Uh, can't wait to watch you uh, work your way through Baltimore Ravens camp, and uh, well done on a lot of hard yes. work. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. You got a Tyson Williams on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline. Deseret First, you know why. We show how. I'm excited to see how he gets a chance because he's an undrafted free agent. So J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram, those are the top two running backs you'd think, right? Then Gus Edwards and Justice Hill are on the roster as well. Those are the guys he's fighting with, right, among maybe a couple others. So to uh, at least make the practice squad would be notable, and then there are always injuries. You get a chance, right? Most NFL teams carry, what, three running backs going into game day? So uh, maybe four, depending on the team. So that, that'd be good. This, this is a stable organization. It's not like he's going to your Bengals. So that, 
This hey, is hey, awesome. Hey, man. hey, the Bengals had an A minus of a draft, according to Sports Illustrated. <laughs> is Sports Illustrated still a credible source? <laughs> Have you seen what's ESPN happened with them? gave them an, a B plus or an A minus. Okay. Yes, yes, because the grades immediately after the draft matter. <laughs> What'd your Seahawks get, okay? How about in five? I don't know or care. Why don't you go review that before you give my Bengals a hard time, okay? You're questioning the stability of the Bengals. Wow. (laughs) This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. AVCA Player of the Year, Gabby Garcia-Fernandez on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Gabby, welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. And first of all, congratulations, man, on winning Player of the Year. Thank you. Thank you. It's uh, it's been a crazy couple of days, you know, but I'm very grateful I'm here again. You know, like I missed, you know, talking to you guys and, you know, this show. You won five awards, so um, can let's, we... Let's walk through them. Can we get some hardware up here on the desk? Yeah, yeah. can we get one of them? Uh, <laughs> ABCA National Player of the Year, first team All-American, uh, the National Server of the Year, the Dane Blanton Diversity Award, and the Brian Ivey Best Opposite. So which one meant the most to you? Uh, definitely just, you know, ABCA Player of the Year. You know, obviously, um, I put a post the other day um, explaining... Uh, the way I think about, you know, the type of awards, but this one is, is, was very meaningful for me. Um, uh, it was a lot of, like, thank you to, all, like, everybody that helped me to, like, be, to get here where I am today. It's, uh, it's very, like, meaningful because I talked to my first ever volleyball coach, like, the, like, creative Gabby that you see today, like, the athlete, and he's, like, you repay me with that award. You don't have to pay me back anyway, you know, and <laughs> for me, that, that was amazing. Gabby Garcia-Fernandez with us on BYU Sports Nation. How have you coped with the abrupt end to your season? And is it still hard for you, or has enough time passed that uh, you're ready to move on? Yeah, um, it, was, it was interesting in the beginning. Uh, it was interesting in the beginning. It was like, wow, my season ended and like everything happened. But um, now it's more like a better mentality of, like, let's get ready for next season or, like, try to be safe you don't do like stupid stuff or like go outside and touch things and interact with too many people it's like here right now it's more like gabby take care of yourself right now and like let everything in the world like change itself it's been certainly uh you know hard hard for you guys hard for the fans i still have my calendar when the matches are going to be played you know saturday uh, two days ago would have been the mpsf final and then we'd have an off week and then go to you know virginia and and see if can't bring home the national title so um, what have you done in the meantime to prepare yourself for next season? And I do want to ask you, you'll have, you know, potentially two years left. Do you plan on playing those two years or is it next year? And then we'll see. Uh, yeah, well, definitely right now, um, like uh, we developed the mentality of like, if you don't come out of this quarantine like, and you don't have a perfect or something on yourself, you just, uh, didn't lack of time. You just lacked of, uh, like discipline. You know, so like right now it's a lot of like, you know, mentally focused and like, let's say just uh, scheduling, scheduling, I'm going to be better at scheduling uh, for like, like athletic stuff. It's like, how good can I get like running by myself and doing all that stuff without actually talking and touching an iron or anything. Um, and that's that for now. And then next year is like, 
I'm going to complete next year normally, and then we'll see what happened next year. But I'm taking it one year at a time and concentrating on the what's about to happen. And that what's going to happen right now is going to happen like a, a year from now. Gabi, we mentioned all of your awards. Uh, you also happen to be the best server in the entire country. What do you credit to you taking uh, another step forward and being able to serve the ball so effectively? Um, to be honest, it's, it's to be for me, it's just to go to the next level. Um, you know, like in the club, it was me trying to come to college and now college trying to go pro, uh, just trying to be the best as I can and serving. Uh, there was a lot of like work this year, specifically like the coaches did a lot of, a lot of good work with us, like keeping us accountable with our serves and like, like managing how much we did or if we didn't do enough, we have to go do it right now, stop in practice. Hey, we stopped practice today. We have to do server and pass again. So I think that was uh, one of the biggest things that helped me this year to like get into the serving. Uh, I worked a lot of things and, you know, the, the rest was just, you know, easier. 56 aces, single season record. You break the record in Hawaii in the last match, and uh, that was pretty awesome. Growing up, Gabi, my favorite BYU athlete was Ossie Antonetti on the 99 men's volleyball team, considered the greatest team in BYU history. Lefty, the fro, the personality, Puerto Rican, like he was awesome. You've got to know him a little bit. Tell people the relationship you have with Ossie. Yeah, uh, before coming to BYU, Ossie texted me and. Um, like he said, like, hey, I'm so happy you're going to be BYU. I went there and everything. So I, like, kind of researched him more. It's like, oh, this guy's cool, you know? Like, everything had their throw and everything. Uh, and <laughs> then, like, a year later, he becomes the, nat- the head coach of the national team, Puerto Rico. And I get to go back home and train with him, you know? Like, he, and he like, spent a lot of time with me saying, like, hey, Gabby, like, this is what you need to get to the next level, you know? So I stay in contact with him a lot. And, like, he, he's my coach now in the national team. And um, I'm so excited to work again with him when I get back home. Are you going to grow out a fro? <laughs> we'll see. We're close, though. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, you got time to grow it out, right? Right now? I do. I do got time. <laughs> that's, what that, that's what we all have a lot of. Toilet paper and uh, time. Yeah. Yes, that, that is yeah. true. Okay, Gabi, um, when you consider what you have accomplished at BYU thus far, um, what's left to go out and get? What, what's number one on your agenda in terms of what you want to accomplish next? Um, at this point, like uh, any player would say, like, go win a national championship. But uh, I will say just like uh, doing my best to train those guys that are going to stay in college when I leave. You know, like – uh, those guys are the freshmen that came this year and the freshmen coming next year. You know, like, hey, like, guys, this is how we do stuff and this is how we want to do stuff. So, like, the program needs to stay, stay the same to when I was here, you know? Like, we created this. I want you guys to, like, keep it going. So that and obviously, like, by creating that culture, we can, you know, end up winning a national championship. That just comes from – that's the result of, like, all the work you do, do during the season. Gabi, uh, f- next Friday, May 8th, uh, Unfinished Business will air on BYU TV. We're excited to uh, debut that. But one thing we didn't get into in that is the story that uh, you shared with me about your back going into the Hawaii match. Can you share that story of what you were going through and what happened? Uh, yeah, so uh, I, I, was, uh, I didn't suffer. I just had a little problem back in my lower back. For a little bit, and uh, that week that we were preparing to go to Hawaii, uh, something shifted or something happened in my body that 
I couldn't like bend over to pick us up anything. So like we were all minor like, issue when trying to play like, volleyball, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, um, I was I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna like actually planning on fully playing the Hawaii match, um, but like I still wanted to be there for the guys. So uh, Sean decided to like take us like cliff diving for a little bit because we're in Hawaii, so let's you know enjoy the beach. Um, and I dove one time and I was okay, and I dove the second time. And something felt weird, and I went to pick up my towel, and I bent over like nothing has ever happened before. So, and after that, I told Sean, like, I was freaking out because, you know, I dove into a water, and, like, my whole back is scared. Uh, and, I, and, I told, and I told you, like, the story sounds super fake, uh, but, like, it's, uh, it happened, and then, like, I got to play both matches after that cliff jump. And the next, the next night, because this is Wednesday, I take it, when you were diving. Yep. The yep. next night, you serve eight aces <laughs> against Hawaii. Like, that is yeah. a miracle. That is, that is crazy, right? And, and, yeah, it's is totally crazy. And those were two of the most memorable matches in BYU history. I, I'm, I've said that the Thursday match you guys played is the greatest performance on that kind of stage outside of, say, a Final Four that BYU's ever played. What, what, are your, what are your memories and thoughts about that performance against Hawaii? Um, it, was, it was a special, you know. It's very special to see what we could be, and, like, we still saw that we could be better. Even though, like, people say it's like, oh, that team, that, that's the best it can do. Like, for us, it wasn't. For us, it was like, well, we can do way better than this, and it's scary. So it was a really good experience for us, and for me to like see that team doing that. And that's what motivates us to go into the next season. Gabi, congratulations again on an incredible season. And we are very excited for more good things to come. And for the record, if, uh, if I hurt my back, I'm calling you first. Is that cool? <laughs> I got you. I got you. <laughs> we don't advise cliff diving if your back hurts. Let's just get no. that out there, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm used to the beach, you know, like I am or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> All good, man. Hey, stay safe and healthy, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, man. Gabby Garcia-Fernandez on the Desert First Credit Union Hotline. Desert First, you know why we show how. If you like BYU men's volleyball, even casually, you're going to love Unfinished Business next Friday. We're very excited about it. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Time for the best to wear it. Who is the best athlete to wear each number at BYU? We started at zero. Now we're all the way up to number five. Jerem, who rocked five the best? Only been five days. Uh, Number five, Wally Joyner, baseball. I mean, this guy was awesome. Uh, First baseman, 6'1", 185 from Decatur, Georgia. Played at BYU from 81 to 83. He batted 419. And uh, hit 43 homers at BYU. Second team All-American in 83, where BYU at one point during the season was ranked number one. I'm telling you, like 81 to 84 was the greatest period for BYU athletics ever, and they'll never top it. I'm sorry. They'll never top it. Your baseball team was number one. Your football golf, team was number one. Golf national championship as well in 81. Uh, you know, men's basketball elite eight. I mean, it was amazing. You had Ed Eyestone. Yes. Triple crown in 84. Yeah. He helped the 83 team, uh, drafted third round in 83 by the Angels, where he played forever. He played 18 years in the show, 16 years, 16 years. Uh, All-star in 86, played in the World Series in 98, 2,000-plus hits, 200-plus homers, 2,000-plus MLB games. 
Uh, he He's in the conversation for best major league player from BYU. I would argue that Jack Morris is probably the best player from BYU. Ever. Isn't he in the Hall of Fame? Yeah. So he's got to be the guy. Wally Joyner, great conversation uh, there as well. He was inducted in the West Coast Conference uh, Hall of Honor this year, which is awesome, but also funny because he never played. He in the never WCC. played. Played in the WAC. A West Coast Conference played game. In the WAC. Hey, there are some of you out there saying, well, hey, didn't uh, Mr. Triple Double at Big Russia 5, Kyle Collinsworth, were at number five? Yeah. Yes, he did. Absolutely. An NCAA record 12 triple doubles. He's all over the BYU basketball all-time records list. Great rebounder, great passer. Still great. trying to make Second. it as a professional yeah. basketball Again. player. He's playing in the G League with the Jazz franchise, uh, the Utah Stars. And he's a guy that played in the NBA, albeit the Mavericks were tanking that season. Yeah, 30, but it's been fun to watch games. Yep. highlights that he's put out of him playing against NBA stars like James Harden and Stephen Curry, scoring on those guys. He he played 32 games in the league. No, this Kyle Collins with maximize, maximized his abilities in an amazing way, and he still is. He still is. If you want to get in shape, if you want some ideas, he's got great stuff. Charles Abuo doing that as well online. Pretty cool. So, yeah, Kyle Collinsworth gets our honorable mention. All right. Best score. Stuart Mandel of The Athletic wrote a piece the other day, which is really fun to read, uh, using relegation in college football. Came up with the idea of the top four P5 teams that should be relegated in favor of the top four G5 teams. BYU was one of the teams uh, in the G5 ranks that he thought deserved to be moved up in that scenario. So do you like the idea of implementing relegation in college football? One million percent, yes. And let me say this. Stuart Mandel called BYU a de facto power five. This is to appease those fans out yes. there that are saying, don't call us a group of five team. We're different than them. Okay, he called BYU a de facto power five team. One million percent, yes, I like it right now. But the idea of it is only appealing to those that are in a position to benefit. <laughs> and BYU is clearly in Certainly. that position. So if you ask Rutgers... Vanderbilt, Kansas, Oregon State, Wake Forest, Colorado, which, by the way, is a team that I think BYU should replace as a Power 5 team. They should be relegated. BYU should go into the Pac-12, be the traveling partner with Utah, and finally get in the Pac-12. Those teams hate the idea of relegation, while every BYU fan is looking at this and saying, yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, you got to earn it. You want to stay in the Power 5? you got to earn it, man. But what if BYU hasn't played well and over the last few years, 7-6? and six, What if BYU were on the other side of that coin? They were in a Power 5 conference, and Stuart Mandel saying, hey, BYU hasn't really delivered, uh, so maybe now it's time for uh, Colorado. Well, then the argument changes. Cincinnati. <laughs> exactly. Then it's like, <laughs> no, like, no, no, no. Horrible no, idea. No, Horrible. Great academic institution. Look at all of our other Olympic sports. We're awesome. Okay? This is, it's an intriguing conversation because it's, it's only – a good thing if you are benefiting from it. It's it's uh, that simple. So you're going. So Colorado is your. Let's in this scenario. Yes. If let's, yes. hypothetical scenario where it plays, you're saying Colorado out, BYU in. Yes, absolutely. All right. All right look, I, yes, I like it. I love the idea. It's fun. But relegation will never happen in college football. But, sir, I like the idea of, of keeping teams' feet to the fire. Like, you can't just be fat and happy without producing results. And it, it will never happen because the structure of college sports just won't allow it. Sure, you can. Ask Rutgers. Well, yeah. So, look, <laughs> it was fun, though. It was fun to look through some of the teams, though, that fall under the category of just happy to be there. I mean, he talked about teams like, uh, like uh, Vanderbilt – 
he had Kansas. And Kansas is where I'm going. Kansas is the team. Now, we're talking about football only here. Okay, so basketball, everything so, remains. Yes, we, look, we know that the reason Kansas is Kansas is because the Kansas Jayhawks basketball team. The football team is horrible. And I knew they were bad. I did not know how bad mm-hmm. they really were until I dove into this this morning. Let me just give you this. Okay, so since 1996, okay. that's the first year of the Big 12. So it's not like it's been a handful of years. We're talking a significant amount of time. 24 years. Since 1996, winning seasons for the Kansas Jayhawks, so above 500, three. Yeah. Winning conference seasons, one. Oh. Conference seasons with just one win, so one win in the conference, Nine <laughs> conference seasons with zero wins in the Big 12, five. Oh. They're horrible. I would love for BYU to be in the Big 12, take Kansas out. Cougars go in. I get it. I really do. But it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Like you said, it's never going to happen. The, the funnest part about this is it would make bad games late in the season immediately relevant. Like, hey, 3-8 and eight Iowa State versus 3-8. and eight. Kansas, the loser is relegated. They, oh, yeah. Everything's on the line. Imagine the intensity in that. for bad games. That's, that's what I like about it as well. I love it. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. BYU football had no draft picks for the first time since 2015, but three players signed undrafted free agent deals. Time to panic? I don't think so, especially when you consider what BYU could potentially do and put forth in the 2021 NFL draft. Jerem, what's the chance BYU football has more than one player taken in next year's NFL draft. Pretty good. I tweeted, uh, I think, Friday that, hey, this is not likely going to have a pick here, but next year, hey, they could have multiple. So let's look at next year. So obviously seniors in the mix. Matt Bushman, we just mentioned in the headlines. Kairos Tonga potentially, although he's got to figure out his, his uh, weight. He's got to get down. He's got to be a three-down lineman, right? No one's going to bring him in to be a two-down lineman, um, in my opinion, as a draft pick. He could be a draft pick. And then Brady Christensen's interesting. He would have to come out early, but he totally could. He is absolutely on uh, draft boards. He was a top 100 guy from PFF. He's one of the top, what, 10 linemen in college football last year, according to PFF. He technically, technically could have come out after this year because the rule is three years out of high school. He went on a mission. He's been out of high school four years. We got Halo, Spot Shadows. It's amazing. I love it. Good production value. Uh, Brady Christensen, if he left after this year, assuming that he has a similar season where he continues to improve, is a definite draft pick, right? If he's like, if he's good enough to leave early, he's going to come out and be drafted. That makes sense, right? Chandon Herring and Tristan Hodge are interesting seniors as well. What about we'll, what about we'll a guy see. like James Empey? James Empey in the same category. He's a junior. He'd have to come out early. He was highly rated, like Brady Christensen. So, I believe that BYU will get multiple draft picks next year. I don't know if it's going to be like three or four, but I think BYU, it's realistic to think that BYU could have two. Well, that statement and projection carries significant weight, especially when you consider our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. The last time BYU had multiple players drafted was 11 years ago in 2009. It's been a while since BYU has been represented by more than one guy. And it's been nice to see BYU guys last and make an impact. I mean, they've been, the guys that are in the league have been influential. Right. 
But it's been a while since BYU's had multiple guys. 2009. Dennis that, Pitta was the highest draft pick that year. No, no, no. That's from the 08 team. So it's Austin Collier. Oh, crap, right. Puna. So Harvey Unga was taken in the supplemental draft, wasn't he? In yeah. 2009. So I yeah. guess that technically does not count. doesn't really count. Okay. Yeah, yeah it was Kali and Vakapuna. Okay, and following that, Pitta, right? Um, Who? <laughs> stop it. It's been, been a while. It's been a while. I don't know. I, I need to find out more about Brady Christensen uh, before I'm ready to bet that he goes all in. But it's all going to be on the feedback he gets, right? Pro Football Focus obviously loves Brady Christensen. Pro Football Focus loved Austin Lee. We haven't heard any news about Austin yeah, Lee. Yeah, that's weird. So, NFLDraftBlitz.com has Christensen as the seventh highest rated tackle in the 2022 draft. So looking, not 21, 22. Two years away. Yeah, and I don't, I'd never heard of that website before. But um, if, if he continues to develop... And, and and who's 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 validating this idea? It's PFF and it's Jeff Grimes. Where did Jeff Grimes coach before Brigham? LSU. Like he knows what makes a good lineman. And Auburn for that matter. And he, yeah, and he thinks that Brady Christensen is an NFL tackle. No question, Matt Bushman is an NFL tight end. He's going to get drafted. Bushman he's, will be drafted. He's like the one for sure. Kyrus should be a for sure guy, but he's not. Will Kyrus put gotta, in the work? He's got to figure out the weight. So here's the thing that is disconcerting. This whole pandemic situation is not ideal for a guy like Kairos Tonga. Okay? Well, it's not ideal for all of us with weight. It's not just Kairos. <laughs> it's not pick on Kairos. We're doubling down there. Um, so, yeah, can, can he become the guy that can stay on the field longer? He's, no question he, can make, he makes a huge impact when he's on the field, but can he, he stay on the field? He has a multi-million dollar decision. Do it! You, you, Kairos, you can make millions of dollars. Let's go. Figure it out. Do it. So for me, it's if Brady Christensen doesn't come out, then it then it becomes a question of then it's a little tricky. Kyrus Tonga. Yeah, he he's the chance that BYU has yeah. multiple draft picks. And I'm interested to see if James Empey and Shannon Herring and or Tristan Hodge develop in a way where maybe they're NFL guys. BYU still has a scholarship or two available. Uh, but with the addition of Purdue transfer Matt Harms, how does your starting five look for BYU Hoops next year? Yes, let's switch it up with basketball. Okay, I'll give you my starting five right now, and here's where things get complicated with the addition of Matt Harms. What do you do with Gavin Baxter, who, by the way, just blew a year of uh, redshirt potential and then only only to have the season cut short? Uh, because right now I think it's Richard Harward, who I know Mark Pope loves and is Really physical inside at the five. Matt Harms could play the four and five. Connor Harding will be a starter. It's so weird but true to put a 7-3 guy at the power forward. Like in 86, we would have been like, no, 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 he's a center. But whatever. He can shoot it. It it don't matter. Four or five, whatever. Alex Barcelo will be the point guard. The biggest question mark for me, aside from what to do with Gavin Baxter, is who plays the two based entirely on who played last year and who I think Mark Pope trusts and the fact that BYU needs another shooter on the floor with so much size, I'd go with one of the best, if not the best, remaining three-point shooter on the team, and that is Trevin Nell. I don't know that Trevin Nell is going to be the starter. I think uh, there's a major TBD there. He will play, but BYU needs another ball handler. I don't look at Trevin Nell as a ball handler. I look at him as a come-off-the-screen shooter, get it done that way. BYU needs a guy that can come in and handle pressure, somebody besides Alex Barcelo. Connor Harding's good enough 
to kind of work in the Jake Toulson role, and, and he can handle the rock. But BYU needs another significant ball handler, which is why they're attacking the transfer portal so hard right now, yes. looking for another guard. I, Nell is the guy right now. If no changes happen for me, then he's the guy that I would go with because he's a shooter. And because Mark Pope has trusted him to play before, unless somebody like Hunter Erickson or Spencer Johnson can emerge and prove that they can handle the ball and outplay and outshoot a guy like Trevin Nell. Yeah, I'm not sure on that other spot. And two or three, it doesn't matter. Like if Connor Harding's the two, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, to me, that's the biggest question mark. I, I agree with the starting lineup, um, except that position. I just don't know who it is. it is. it like, can Gideon George handle the ball well at 6'6", or is he more of like a three-ish, four-ish? I, I don't know. Is Wyatt Lowell the guy? He's 6'10". Um, like, yeah, I, I don't know. Is Spencer Johnson the guy? Spencer Johnson or Wyatt Lowell feel like the most ready in terms of JC or, and or redshirt, like coming in, uh, need to have an impact right away kind of situation. Trevor Nell could, uh, could be the guy. Uh, uh, absolutely. I, I don't know. That, that, spot's, that battle for that other starting spot is going to be interesting. Also in the post, they can have all kinds of lineups. Like Matt Harm seems like a logical choice to start because he's a senior, because he played with Purdue in the Big Ten. He's seven three. Like been to the Elite Eight and the Sweet Sixteen. That makes sense. And yeah, one of those he was redshirting, but one of those he was on the team, right? Um, playing. Richard Harward is a back to the back scorer, right? Colby Lee is a guy that is probably the odd man out with the big man, despite the production he had this year. Um, Gavin Baxter could absolutely start. So it depends what you want from that lineup. Like, is BYU going to run, uh, you know, a lot of action into Harms on the post? I would think that Harward is that guy when he's in. And I would think that Harward and Lee won't play a lot together because I think it's one or the other in terms of we're going to go inside to you. Maybe Har- is it Harms pick-and-pop guy? Is he roll and get into a situation where he's catching deep and sealing off his guy? I think BYU has all kinds of lineups there. Is Gideon George a guy that will at times post up, right? I'm not exactly sure. But the biggest question mark still remains is, yes, the ball handler, the other guy. you got to have one. I think Harding can handle it. I think Alex Barcelo can handle it. And then it's kind of TBD with a lot of those guards, albeit I'm excited to watch that situation. Yes, the complication is fun with the big men, and I don't think that the coaches are going to have a hard time figuring out how to rotate Colby Lee and Gavin Baxter and Richard Harward and Matt Harms. And those are the four big guys. Do not confuse Wyatt Lowell just because he's 6'10 as a big guy. He shoots it. He's an outside guy. He's not a front-court player. I mean, he can be a stretch four, but imagine that he's 6'7, and that will make more sense in kind of how he's used. He just happens to be a 6'10 dude who shoots. He's not a back-to-the-basket scorer, elite rebounder. And here's the thing, why there's so much emphasis on this other ball handler. Who's the backup point guard? Blaze Neald just transferred to Utah Valley University, and Jesse Wade is the guy that could be it if he were healthy and if he's going to play. We still don't know the finality associated with Jesse Wade. Like His knee has been so messed up. Hopefully he can play. If he doesn't, then that's a second scholarship available, and... The way that BYU is pursuing grad transfers, it would appear that perhaps that's something they can look at. Slash, you can always get good guys, and then you figure it out on your roster. And there's an odd man out in that situation, and we'll see if 
there's a guy like that, but yeah. you just gather talent and go from there. It's BYU am- needs an immediate player, and they need a sit-out player, yes. I think. It's amazing to see all of these players in the transfer portal with their top tens and top fives and BYU consistently being in there. It's it's <laughs> nice, right? And it's awesome when you land one. Like, if BYU never landed one, I wouldn't care. But they landed harms, so this means they can actually get guys. Because being in the top five, it's like, have you? did you ever feel in high school when the girl you liked – uh, started dating someone else that you felt like consolation in that victory of being in the final thing. No, you didn't. You're just like, oh man, I lost. So hopefully Bury can continue to win with guys. I don't know what that feeling was like, Jerem. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Men's hoops going after and getting high level transfers. We saw it with Jake Toulson. Alex Barcelo was a, a a big recruit out of high school, but didn't do anything in Arizona, then bang, he's a starter on a top 25 team here. Uh, now Matt Harms, uh, considered the top transfer by some uh, to BYU. So which BYU program is recruiting at the highest level right now? It's BYU women's volleyball, and it's probably not that close. They've gone to seven Sweet 16s in the last eight years, two Final Fours, a national championship. Heather Olmstead had the number six recruiting class two years ago. They're consistently in the top 10 to top 15 of recruiting classes. So it's BYU women's volleyball. That said, basketball, I feel, is making the biggest jump with transfers in tow. They are improving the most. You joked this morning and called it the Damon Stoudemire Award. Yeah, yeah. He got coach of the year West Coast Conference. You expect nothing and he gets something. I mean, and just, then It's like Mark Pope should have won that so award. The yeah. biggest jump being made is BYU basketball with their transfer boost. Yeah. Baseball at a top 25 class last season. Track and field and cross country are clearly doing amazing things. I don't know that they rate those recruiting classes. I don't know. Maybe the it, USTF it, CCCA does. If that's the coaches, no, they're not going to rate themselves. But if, if uh, yeah, if you're digging into that, that's next level, man. Okay. Respect. All of this leads me <laughs> to wonder, where is BYU football in this conversation because football is king. Football is the moneymaker, but I just listed five different programs I feel that are recruiting at a much higher level than BYU football is right now. But the question is, why? Well, it's the honor code. What about the other programs? They still deal with the honor code, right? So what are they doing that BYU football can implement to get the Cougars and the King program, the moneymaker, back on track? I don't have the answer, but this conversation makes me wonder, how do they get there? BYU football is not where they used to be, not even with Bronco Mendenhall, Jaron. Yeah, and let's talk about it. I think because BYU's not good in this, we shouldn't avoid it. A lot of times, and around here, we avoid things because they're inconvenient to kind of the narrative, right? And the narrative is, well, the star system doesn't appreciate the kind of guys that BYU gets. Trust me, every program has guys who are undervalued and become something. BYU's not unique in that way, right? Um, In terms of the actual ratings, take them for what they're worth. And I think there's some worth to it. BYU will say, hey, no, 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 we don't care about that. Well, yeah, because they're not high. If they were high, we'd be screaming about it. So I think it's unfair to say, well, because they're low, we don't talk about it. I think we should talk about how low it is and how it needs to be better. But I don't think it needs to be much better, which brings us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. In the last five classes, Satake era, BYU's average football recruiting ranking among ESPN rivals in 24-7 sports. So I don't trust just one, but I'm going to trust a group of three average, right? Is 70. 
There are 130 I, Division I college football teams. I think it should be in the top 60. In fact, I went through and looked back uh, ESPN, you know, uh, through 2013, and and uh, before that, it was kind of just rivals in 24/7 sports. Some of BYU's best teams have been with classes. Eventually, obviously, the class you have that next year, it doesn't mean you're going to be great. I'm talking a couple years later. We're in the 60s, okay? In the 60s, um, I don't think BYU needs to be in the top. 40, I don't think BYU will ever be in the top 40. In fact, if they had recruiting rankings in the 80s, I doubt that BYU would have. Now, what's interesting about that number 40 is I believe the last time BYU had a recruiting class somewhere in the 40 to 50 range was with Austin Colley and Dennis Pitta and it was, Max Hall. It was 2010. It was Jake Heaps. And okay. So, he, so it was, it's been a while. Heaps and Oppo and Stout and Iggy's Grill, uh, shout out. And yeah, they, they show up there and they have this high recruiting ranking. The highest recruiting ranking in the stock year is 51. That's two months after he gets hired. So a lot of those guys were probably committed from Bronco to some degree. But listen, they, we both feel like BYU's a couple plays away from nine wins and five wins, right? BYU has good enough talent, I think. Can it be better? Absolutely. And typically, they more four stars, more three stars is where BYU sits. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's player development. That's good coaching, right? BYU doesn't have to. I'm not saying BYU needs to be top 50 every year, although I'd take it. I think they just needs to be like a few more three stars and a couple more four stars. Four stars at least start and contribute. Like Nick Kurtz, number five JC receiver, or whatever. Like, oh, he wasn't as good as we thought. No, no, no. He was at least a solid contributor for two or three years. You know what I mean? So more of those dudes. I, I certainly want BYU to be better in this regard, but I don't think they're crazy off where they need to be. Which to get eight or nine wins a season, just be a little bit better. Sure. Sure, and how much does recruiting directly relate to that, and how much is it of player development? It matters. Like, listen, what's what's the church's recruiting? Missionary work, right? That that matters. There's 80,000 of them to make sure you bring in fresh play. That really matters, too, in order to This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Joining us now to discuss if BYU is an NCAA tournament team and much more is former BYU basketball head coach Steve Cleveland on Zoom via the Deseret First Credit Union hotline. Uh, Coach, welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. How are you surviving uh, life with social distancing in place? Uh, it's, it's good. Doing a lot more reading than I used to do. Uh, I was playing a lot of golf, but that stopped here in California. That's not, that's not everywhere, but they shut that down. But uh, you know what? I, I, I've got a YSA group that I'm, I'm involved with. This things a lot of time, and uh, I found a lot. We've got lots of grandkids that want to slip on over here and shoot baskets in the backyard. So <laughs> we're trying to things to do. Yeah, and different laws with different states, right? California is certainly uh, different than Utah and that and, and whatnot. Okay, let's talk about the, uh, what BYU basketball is doing right now, and that is getting the right players into this program for what they hope will be another season of an NCAA tournament-worthy team. Obviously, this last season absolutely was six seed by all indications. Now BYU is going into the transfer portal. You're a guy that went into the whatever it was uh, in the 90s and got some guys like Ron Salise and Brian Hamilton was on the squad, and they made an immediate impact. What do you expect from a guy like Matt Harms, who uh, signed with BYU last week? Well, first of all, yeah, that was a significant paradigm shift when we got here. 
because uh, there were very few players in the program. I think we ended up having 22 transfers while we were here. Woo! So it is how we rebuilt the program. And, uh, and there's a long list of them, and a lot of them played. In the, some of them played in the league, and some of them played in Europe. So it was a big part of our success was having that kind of shift in direction. And it also helped with the missionaries. As far as what's going on with Coach Pope and his transfers, they've been unbelievable. Uh, you know, I look at Matt Harms, seven foot three. You know, he's about eight and five a game. They, they have size. You know, the interesting thing for me, it seems that I, I don't think there's going to be any question he's going to come in and have an impact. I've seen all the statistics. He's like, when he's in the game, you know, teams are shooting 48% at the rim. When he's not, they're shooting 59%. So he's got a defensive presence. He's got a rebounding presence. But, uh, I, you know, I, for me, I don't know Wyatt Lowell. I haven't watched him practice. Everybody's telling me he could probably play the three because he shoots it well. Certainly, Gavin Baxter is going to be somebody that's in the mix inside. And Richard Harward may be the best of all of them. I don't know. I mean, he, I've watched him play, tough guy. And so you've got four really, really good bigs there that are going to play. Uh, I think Matt Harms is going to be a great addition. Uh, I think he looks like he'd be a guy that's going to probably play 20 to 25 minutes a game. Uh, I think they actually need a guard or two. And I know they signed a couple of Juco guards, wing guys that can shoot it and defend. But maybe another point guard uh, might fit in there nicely uh, for Alex. But other than that, uh, yeah, that's, that's a great get late. And uh, anybody that can protect the rim and be seven foot three is going to help them. Coach, you bring up BYU probably needing, well, we feel certainly needing another ball handler. And you see Mark Pope and his staff going after a bunch of notable guys that are all guards and ball handlers in the transfer portal right now. That said, with the roster as it stands right now, without any more transfers, is BYU basketball an NCAA tournament team or do they need that guard to feel good about getting back to the dance? I, I think that the talent's there. I think the tradition's there. I think everything's in place for them to get back to the tournament. It would. I mean, you, the thing you don't know is injuries and circumstances and, you know, sickness and whatever might happen that you lose guys. And there's just a little bit of an attrition. And they need – they've got enough guards. It's just a matter of, you know, who you – can know, Alex Marteau, is he going to play 38 minutes a game? So, <laughs> no, I do believe this is an NC2A tournament team. And, uh, again, I haven't, I've, I've seen clips of Spencer Johnson and Gideon George. These are athletic guys that can defend. And so I, I, don't, I think they're going to be better defensively next year just with all the size that they have and the length. But, no, I think this is an NC2A type team. Uh, and maybe the prognosticators don't feel that way right now because there's just a lot of unanswered questions, you know. And if Gavin Baxter plays like he practiced at times, uh, when he was sitting and waiting to play and shooting the three, you know, a lot of those things we don't know yet. But it's not a team that you look at and go, wow, it's got the same three-point shooting prowess that last year's team had. It doesn't. But you never know how people are going to develop. I love Carter Harding. I, I think he's going to be really special. He can play the two or the three or the four. Uh, and I think he, he's going to have a lot more confidence, and he's going to get a lot more shots as well. Those who love Connor Harding, Steve Cleveland, Spencer Linton, Jerem Jordan, and Paisley Johnson. It's, it's those four people and a lot more, right? Connor, we expect to develop. Alex, we expect to develop. Um, Gavin Baxter is a diamond in the rough, right? We, we expected him to have a huge sophomore year. He was injured. Then all these guys. There's not, there's not a ton of dudes that I don't think we expect to take a major step forward. Um, and it's fun because, Cleve, of all the guys on the team, there's not a D1 double-digit scorer coming back from – their last season playing, right? There's some JC guys that had that, but 
you bring this team together, and with this staff, player development was so good this last year. How, how good do you expect that to be with this group the upcoming season? Well, I think, first of all, you're coming off a phenomenal year. There's great energy. Everybody wants to get in the gym, and they probably can't, so that the uniqueness of how they're preparing this summer. But, no, I mean, the, the, here's the thing. The culture of this program right now with this young coaching staff, there's so much energy and so much positivity that they, they just believe. And I think anybody that comes into this program comes with a mindset that, hey, we're going to the tournament. And that's a big part of it. I mean, it's not – listen, Gavin Batch really hasn't played a lot of minutes. Wyatt Lowell averaged about 10 points a game at UVU. It's not the same thing, but you know, everybody is really high on him. And I don't think the transition is going to be that difficult for him. First of all, these guys have all been practicing for a year as well. I mean, Richard Harward – is a guy that can play in a lot of places. And, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, that the coaching staff at UVU and Mark and coaching staff here at BYU have developed him. And so they got plenty of size. But, you know, here's the thing. I will say that you know, we're going to talk about Colby Lee, uh, who ended up playing really well. But I think that at the end of the day, you need – there are times you want to play small. <laughs> and uh, teams where you want to put four shooters on the floor – and I think that might be the only missing piece right now. Again, if Wyatt Lowell is a 38 or 39% three-point shooter, then you know maybe, maybe their problems are solved. But at the end of the day, I know there are times you like to go small, late-game situations. Steve Cleveland with us on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, Coach, when you look at Mark Pope and what he's done in year number one, and uh, you see an entirely different roster coming back, is it fair to expect BYU to get even somewhere close to what they did last year, or is it too much? Should we lay off that a little bit? Well, I mean, that's the thing about expectations. They had a phenomenal first year. And you know what? I mean, they, they, had, they had a really good team. And, I mean, getting Yoli to come back, TJ had an amazing – I mean, there was some experience there. I mean, it wasn't like it was a rebuild. I mean, it was in 1997. It was, it was a group of guys they brought together and got the very best out of them. And everybody saw that energy. I don't need to see any reason why there isn't. I can tell you this, the coaching staff has high expectations, <laughs> and those players have high expectations, and they're not going to back off from that. So why would not the fan base have high expectations? And, and the fan base is as good as it gets in the country. Uh, I don't think you need to be unrealistic. Absolutely. They're going to they're people have to be patient. But I think this coaching staff proved itself in the first year that they're going to push the right buttons. They're marked, you know, they're checking all the right boxes. Again, all of the intangibles are in place, and uh, they, they've got bodies. They've got bodies. And you've got two coaches on that staff that played at the highest level, so the development of bigs is phenomenal. And, uh, now I, you know, yes, there, there should be expectations because that's what you want. That's what you want. I mean, as a head coach, sometimes you probably get in the quiet of your office and think, wow, these people are expecting way too much of me. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think this coaching staff has really embraced that. And that's what they're about. That's what the players have embraced. I don't see them backing down and settling for anything less than what they had this year. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. But at the end of the day, that's going to be their goal. When you look at uh, this next season, because last year it was seven seniors 
Jake's back. Yoli's back. TJ, last hurrah. Haven't made the tourney. Didn't even make the NIT the year before. That's the rallying cry. Like, that was easy to, you know, go, hey, we got to do this, right? So this group, there's two seniors, uh, maybe a third if they get another transfer in Barcelo and Harm. So that's not the rallying cry. What is the rallying cry, in your opinion, in terms of what Mark Pope could use as motivation for this group? Well, I, I think, first of all, the, the NC2A tournament seems to be what is most important in college basketball, even more so than maybe winning conference championships. I'm sure that'll be one of their goals. But uh, I think that they were kind of deprived of that opportunity this year, and they're going to do everything they can to get back to that place. So uh, I, I think one thing I've got to love about Mark is that day in and day out, he's got a rallying cry. Uh, I've never seen anybody use social media better than he does. Uh, he, he's phenomenal in that way. The guys embrace him. There's great energy. You know, and I, I, I kind of, re- I mean, we didn't have the social media, but I can remember having five junior college young coaches that were kind of all hadn't had an opportunity before. There is a great amount of energy in that staff, just like there was with Dave and Nate with me and Brian. I mean, I, I remember it. I, I remember the opportunity to come in. And it reminds me, I mean, there's a lot of different factors, and, and Coach Pope uh, has a great pedigree, but it was a situation still that about this, we were all about the same age then, and there was a great amount of energy. And I, I just like the energy, and I just feel like the rallying cry will be just what it was this year, is that we want to get back to that tournament, and we want to be better every day and focus on those positive things that Coach has not focusing on. And uh, – and, you know, I, I think the relationships with players, uh, the connections, uh, we don't hear a lot about that, but there have been a lot of really athletic, talented teams that never reached their full potential. Uh, I don't, that's not going to be a problem for this coaching staff. That's one of the things they're really, really good at is getting guys to buy in together. And there's a connection there that I think is invaluable in terms of getting to tournaments and winning championships. Steve, it's great to catch up with you and to see your face. Glad you're doing well. Uh, we wish you the best as you teach your grandkids those uh, fundamentals of basketball in the backyard. They're getting their shots up. And uh, can't, can't wait to see you again soon in person. Hopefully we get to play golf too as well. And the this, hey, I, I, I'm going to be in town this summer. My, I got a son moving back to Provo, so I'll be in Provo a little bit more often to see those grandkids. And that brick interior is really nice, by the way. That looks great. <laughs> so I got a nice... I got the Marriott Center behind me. Yeah, you got to rep. represent. Got to rep. Always doing so with class. Coach, great to catch up with you. Thanks so much. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Steve Cleveland on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline via Zoom. Deseret First, you know why we show how. It's like a level of class that Steve Cleveland brings to this program, in addition to the amazing knowledge and experience uh, as the former head coach here and an analyst, right? It just, he just, you know, like you're a classy dude as well. He just brings it up a notch. So I just really like it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. He's fun to hang out yeah. with. Yeah. You know, he makes me feel better about my life. Yes. I am always in a good mood after I talk to Steve. I love it. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Jason, who was the best to wear it? We're asking this question each day. We are at number six again. 
Let's discuss all three worthy candidates, starting with Mark Wilson. All right, Mark Wilson, 1975 through 1979, just shy of 7,000 yards passing. He had 55 touchdowns, a completion percentage of 58%. He was 22-4 and four, uh, as a starter. Woo. He broke nine NCAA records, tied two others. He was BYU's first consensus All-American, and he finished third in the Heisman voting in 1979. Now, those are two facts that most people overlook. Yes, very he much so. He was the first yes. consensus All-American, and he was third in the Heisman voting? We don't talk about that a lot. Absolutely. He was also drafted by the Raiders, which we, we won't hold that against him, uh, and played on Super Bowl championship teams in 80 and 83. So that is Mark Wilson, a very, very impressive resume. If Mark Wilson and BYU go undefeated in 1979, if they just don't botch a kick and beat Indiana in the Holiday Bowl, that's BYU's first undefeated team, Jason. And just maybe that's the clincher in this this argument, right? Absolutely. He's the first quarterback to take BYU to an undefeated record. It was that close in 79. All right, Robbie Bosco. Okay, 1981 to 1985. He won the national championship. He did take BYU to an undefeated record. Heroic effort over Michigan on a bum leg in San Diego. He finished with 8,700-plus yards passing, 67 touchdowns. How about 64% completion percentage for his career? 24-3 and as a starter, Jason. Of course, a national championship. The Rocket from Roseville. Robbie Bosco was known as the Rocket at any point in his life. I'm guessing that was arm strength and not speed, right? Uh, he broke nine NCAA records, tied one. He finished third in the Heisman voting. 1985, honorable mention All-American, drafted by the Green Bay Packers and has been a successful coach of several sports at BYU, for that matter, notably football. Robbie Bosco, in a lot of people's mind, takes an advantage here because he was the championship quarterback. So I think people are going to give him the edge because, oh, he won it. He won it all. You know, I mean, it makes it makes sense. It is an argument that if that's the argument you're going to use, there's not many things that you can argue against it. When you say national championship, really, there's no wrong answer. There really is no wrong answer. uh, You know, uh, when you win the Doak Walker Award at BYU in 2001, you have a real case. Absolutely. Luke Staley, 1999 through 2001, 424 carries for 2,500 yards, 2,502 to be exact. 5.9 yard per carry and 41 touchdowns. He was the perfect back in terms of he was strong, he was built and solid, but he was so fast. You can see if you're watching on BYU TV, his ability to get around the edge. Everybody remembers the one play from him where he was racing down the sidelines against Utah for the win. He was unbelievable. In 2001, led Division I with 8.1 yards per carry, rushed for 1,582 yards and 24 TDs, both BYU records. Eighth all-time rusher in BYU in only three seasons. As you mentioned, won the Doak Walker Award, drafted by the Lions in the seventh round in 2002. Luke Staley, obviously of the threes, the only one I saw play in person. He was as dominating a running back as you will ever find. He was phenomenal. Again, uh, there's this little if, and not so much a little, a big one. If he doesn't get hurt, is he the clear leader here? Does BYU finish the season undefeated? Yeah, because then the 2001 takes on even, you know, loftier, you know, goals in terms of how you look back on it. And BYU wasn't going to play in a major bowl game. They had already announced that. 
And the double whammy effect is Luke Staley's also injured. So they go to Hawaii, they get blown out 72-45, and then they kind of limp into the bowl game and lose to Louisville 28-10. But if Luke Staley is healthy and they finish undefeated, then does the conversation lean towards him? Okay, so where, where are you going with this? I, this is really tough for me. This one is really tough for, for me as well. This one, yeah, this, this one was hard to come up. To come I mean, up with th- this is really tough, and you know what, Jason? Um, I'm going to defer to you. Who's the greatest to wear number six? Mark Wilson, Robbie Bosco, or Luke Staley? Look, as I mentioned, the only three, one of the three that I've seen actually play is Luke Staley. So, based off of what I saw, my first initial reaction was to go with Luke Staley in terms of. Arguably the most dominant back BYU has ever had. You mentioned the Doak Walker. What he was able to do with both being physical and with speed was was unbelievable. And it's just such a shame that the injury took the what could have been an even better season. And who knows what else would have happened. Uh, but at the end of the day, of these three, there are, there's one player who brought BYU a national championship. And that was Robbie Bosco. All three are deserving. All three have eye-popping stats. All three have things that made them dominant in their own way. But Robbie Bosco was the guy at quarterback when BYU won its only national championship in college football. And how many times did we bring up 1984? It's been brought up a couple of times. It is the pinnacle so far. Yeah. It is the greatest season that ended it because it ended in a championship. It has to be Robbie Bosco because of that. Okay, uh, it's appropriate that all three have been uh, honored with having their jersey retired together because yes. all three are deserving. Uh, I have answered all three at some point during this show. Um, I'm, I'm going to lean to Luke Staley, Jason. I am leaning toward Luke Staley because he was the most valuable player to his team. Robbie Bosco had some incredible NFL players all around him. Luke Saley did not have that luxury, and yet he was still the best running back in all of college football in 2001. So because of the value factor, I'm going to go with Luke Staley. It's 50.1%, okay? Can't wait for you to run into Robbie on campus. (laughs) (laughs) Robbie knows I love him. He might be the answer tomorrow for me, Jason. I flip-flop. Absolutely. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Joining us now on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline is Marshall Gerke, a BMX champion and one of the contestants on the brand-new BYU TV show All-Around Champion on Zoom. Marshall, welcome to BYU Sports Nation. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Okay, uh, Marshall, we found out yesterday, and we just talked about Glenn Kozlowski, that your dad, Eric, coached high school football with Glenn. What's the connection there? How, how is, what a small world. I'm, what? Yeah. I, I did not know that. I didn't know he could be. My dad doesn't tell me anything about his, coach, his, <laughs> his football coaching stuff. I don't know. You should ask him about Glenn Kozlowski as soon as we're done with this conversation, okay? Listen, I'd I definitely to, will. I'd love to see Glenn compete with you guys on All Round Champion on BYU TV because you guys. Now, now for those that haven't seen it, I imagine a lot of our audience has. 
There's uh, several teenagers. You guys are all experts at different kind of sports. Yours happens to be BMX. We'll break that down in a second. But you guys compete in different sports um, and see who's kind of the best all-around athlete, right? Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. Just uh, 10 athletes who work very hard at what they do and happen to be pretty good at it uh, go head-to-head and uh, see who can become the all-around champion. Uh, I'm gathering that with your hashtag Team Marshall t-shirt on, you're pulling for yourself in this competition. <laughs> uh, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Tell us about yourself. Well, uh, where are you from? What's your background in sports and specifically BMX? Um, so I am now 13 years old. Um, I live in Antioch, Illinois, so um, definitely not from Canada. But, uh, yeah, um, I guess my sports background would really be um, I've been racing BMX since I was – four years old. So, um, I've been doing this for a while now. Um, uh, it's, it's really fun. It's definitely, it's a different sport. It's not like the one that you see, like, it's not, fo- it's not like football. It's not like soccer. It's something that gives you a little bit more of an adrenaline rush. In my opinion, it's fun being able to go on your bike going 30 feet in the air and, um, jumping over people and jumping over, jumping over things and just having a lot of fun doing it. It's an Olympic so, sport now, so are, are you? do you have dreams of competing in the Olympics in BMX, or are you more of like an X Games guy that wants to do a triple backflip? Um, I don't really know. I mean, I, I absolutely love racing, but I can also do backflips on my bike. I can also do tricks. So it's really just – I wouldn't consider myself as a BMX racer or a BMX freestyle rider. I'm kind of just a key to ride the bike. I, I think you should go for Nitro Circus, Marshall. That's where I think you should really go. <laughs> I've actually – Funny story. I've actually won a dance competition at Nitro Circus. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So, uh, yeah. I, I've been to Travis Pastrana's house too. So really? That's, that's really cool. How was yeah. that? It's like this playland of, uh, you know, of just all oh, kinds extreme of things, right? sports yeah. training. Yeah. Yeah. Ramps, dirt jumps, everything. Every action sports kid's like dream house is everything you can imagine is right there in his backyard. It's super sick. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. We should mention that uh, All Round Champion airs Thursdays, 8 Eastern, so tonight. And uh, tonight's episode is the BMX episode. So you are the coach, right? You don't compete. You try and uh, train up your uh, uh, other competitors. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was def- It's definitely a fun episode, I will say that. There's um, a lot of spills, um, but everyone, it seems to go pretty well. I mean, um, it was really fun to coach them and uh, um, uh, the coach – who helped me out is uh, definitely definitely helped me out a lot. And uh, it was cool. It was fun being able to coach everyone in something that they haven't done before. And way to not give it away. It's hard not to tell, right? Because you've been there, you've seen it, you know yeah. what happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we'll find out tonight, 8 Eastern. And uh, you can watch on the app as well. Yeah, the if previous you've missed episodes. anything. There's like, what, six or seven? It's fantastic. You can stream All Round Champion on the BYU TV app for free. Uh, Marshall Gerke, BMX champion, a competitor on the show, is with us on BYU Sports Nation. How did you get involved in the production of this? When did this first pop onto your radar? Um, I don't know. Uh, I think... Maybe, oh, say we filmed maybe like a year and a half ago now, maybe, I think is when I first really found out about it. I think my dad had some insight before I did. But, um, yeah, I think my father just told me one day, and he was like, yo, this uh, this company reached out to us, and there's a chance that they want you to be on a, on a TV show. And I was like, that's sick. Like, I didn't really know what to think. I mean, it was like, this is a cool opportunity, but like the chance of it happening, there are so many other kids that it could have gone to. It, I'm just, I'm, I'm honored to be one of them that they actually chose. 
Um, but it's definitely, it was definitely an amazing experience and one that I'll never, ever forget. Okay, now uh, that you are officially a part of BYU TV, you need to tell me, did, did you know much about BYU TV or BYU athletics before this show uh, became part of your life? Um, I will be honest, not really, but now I've kind of looked into it, and it's pretty cool, pretty cool uh, family you guys got. Yeah, not not bad. Um, you need to be a BYU fan, though, right? By default, like you, you will uh, be a yeah. BYU fan. <laughs> I, I guess I guess I got to be now. I got to go uh, buy some BYU sports shirts now. Are you sure <laughs> you're 13? You, you you and I have like the same maturity level. Like like you're very mature, dude. You're fantastic. I, I get that a lot. I don't know. I guess I just seem to act a, a little bit older than I am, but you know, what still was, a thirteen-year-old kid. Still do thirteen-year-old kid things. Yeah, fun, so. fun times. What What was yeah. the hardest event, um, and what was the easiest? Swimming, swimming, swimming was the hardest. Hundred percent. Never done something more grueling in my life. Ten hard, laps. <laughs> Ten laps. No, that's hard absolutely for swimmers. Not. Yeah. Never again. Never, ever, ever again. Um, and then I'd say the easiest for me was probably um, kart racing because um, I'd actually uh, ended up doing it before. But uh, that was definitely the easiest. Um, I'd say the most fun, though, might have been diving. Diving was really fun. It was very scary at first, but once you got the hang of it, it was actually pretty fun to do flips and stuff and off the five foot. So it was cool. Fantastic wow. stuff. Uh, I don't know that I'd be flipping off of a diving board. Just, just, <laughs> just going in. Just to get yeah. me to jump in. Marshall, great <laughs> to meet you. Uh, we look forward to the new episodes of All Round Champion again tonight, live on BYU TV. Um, good stuff, man. Great to meet you. Great to meet you guys, too. Um, have a good rest of your day, and uh, stay safe. Hey, same to you. Hashtag Team Marshall. Let's Team go. Team Marshall. Let's go, Marshall. Yes, Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> right. See you, Marshall. 8 Eastern on BYU TV. Marshall Gerke on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. Listen, the, the Marshall is awesome, and it was really fun to meet him. There's some really good athletes on that show, and it's a fun idea. Like, I, I would be interested with BYU athletes to see how they would fare as well because we're always picking at, okay, if you played a different sport, what would you do? Yeah. And would you be good at it? Right? I love that question. Yeah, it's fun. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Being this, our all-time <laughs> BYU dodgeball uh, starting five. Yes, presented by Bodyguards Protection for a Life Worth Living. Learn more at Bodyguards.com. All-time BYU dodgeball okay. starting five. The reason we're bringing this up, Jeff Goodman of Stadium Sports tweeted that he, of, what was it, college basketball coaches yes. on the dodgeball team? Yes. He put Mark Pope on one. Now, here's my issue with using Mark Pope as a player. He's seven feet. He's going to bring energy. He's going to have skill, I think, throwing the ball. He's just too big. Yes. He's too much just of a too tall. He's too much of a target. Yes, absolutely. you got to think about space. And I, I just don't think that would work out. Do you want Mark Few and Damon Stoudemire on your team? Yes. Yes. If I, you're co- coaches only. Absolutely. All right, Jeremy, who's on your all-time BYU okay. five, starting five dodgeball team? So you got to think about a few things with dodgeball. If you've played competitively like you and I have over the years, throwing, right, accuracy, speed, uh, a certain amount of grit, right? Oh, I've been dodging your comments for seven years. Well, some you can't avoid. I just <laughs> get you right in the chest. 
<laughs> the ability to catch is really important. Uh, you don't catch it, uh-huh. right? Uh, uh-huh. You're out, and they're not. So I start with Matt Bushman because he had no drops last year. He's a year. big target. He had no drops. He's a big target. He's not as big, but he's big. What, 6'5"? Six, 6'5"? Five? Uh-huh. Six, five? That's different than 6'10". But no, dro- no drops is impressive. No drops. Ryan Hancock. Speed. Mm-hmm. I need speed. He played in the majors, played quarterback here. Todd Watkins, speed and catching. Okay. Wide okay. receiver. Max Hall, throwing ability, competitive. He's going to get in people's faces, intimidate. People aren't okay. going to want to throw at him. He's the player coach. And then Paige Affleck of softball. Um, throwing. just And she's going underhand probably. Different technique. You're not sure where the ball's coming yeah, out. Yeah. Those are my five. I, th- I thought of Paige and I thought of McKenna Bull as well on softball. Okay. Uh, Mark Pope would be my coach, Jerem. He would be my coach. Just well, because of yeah. his recruiting ability and the transfer portal <laughs> and dodgeball would be unbelievably lit. Well, well then. Okay. Primarily, I went smaller because I want smaller, quick targets and those ultra-competitive people. Number one, Mary Lake, Jerem. Mm. Because in dodgeball, guess what? If she gets thrown at and she can dig it without hitting the floor and catch it or anybody else can catch it, then you are safe, right? You'll have to develop the catching part with Mary. Mary Lake will (laughs) dig everything. Reno Mahe, one of the quickest athletes in BYU football history. Stop on a dime, make people look silly, and he's needed comedy. Brennan Lund is my baseball guy. Mm, He's triple-A, centerfield's got a rocket arm. He's small, and he's was the fastest team member of the BYU baseball team when he played her. Taysom Hill's my captain. I'm going for Taysom's ankles. Taysom's my captain. I'm throwing at his ankles. Get, get him out of there right away. <laughs> Ryan Hancock, go after Taysom. Okay. Derwin Gray, I need a motivator. <laughs> and yeah. when he played, he was a really good uh, yes. corner. He's yeah. quick, agile. Well, that's, that's my dodgeball team. Nate awesome. Mickle gets my honorable mention. Nice. <laughs> It is time for Top 5 Tuesday, presented by the company we just told you about, Delta Keep Climbing. BYU had three players sign NFL deals over the weekend. Dine Gonwoloku with the L.A. Rams, Aleva Hipo with Andy Reid's Kansas City Chiefs, and our first guest today, Tyson Williams, who signed with the Baltimore Ravens. Our Top 5 Tuesday features the best plays of the year from that trio. Let's go. Number 5, Aleva Hipo kicks things off. Liberty, third quarter. Hifo catches a bubble screen from your boy Baylor Romney, Mormon Colony shout-out. And the rest is history. That 4-4-1-40 on display for a 41-yard touchdown. He did cut it up like he was scoring a rugby try, and he wanted to dot it down closer to the post for the conversion, which was interesting. But uh, this was an independent battle that BYU came out on top. <laughs> At number four, Diane Gonwoloku, Northridge High School, Leighton, Utah, represent primarily known at BYU for his defensive prowess. But, hey, this play shows he can score on offense, too. First quarter against USC, the scrum package. Diane running behind Kyra's Tonga scores behind the big man for his first and only rushing touchdown of the season. Number three, early in the second half against Toledo, Zach Wilson connects with Aleva Hifo for a 75-yard touchdown. Most of the work done by Aleva. Longest TD play of the year for BYU. Just another showcase of his big playability. He did this against Western Michigan in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl as well the year before. 111 yards and two touchdowns in that game for Aleva Hifo. Whoop! At number two. Oh, he's so shifty. In his short BYU career, one play stands out above the rest for Tyson Williams. His double overtime walk-off winner at Rocky Top against Tennessee behind his entire offensive line. Tyson sealing his BYU legacy, really, 
with this performance and that run. A fantastic return to Rocky Top for the SEC transfer. Pretty cool, man. All of Cougar Nation was pushing as well. And the top play in the BYUSN Best Play Bracket Championship ultimately fell short on the list, uh, but stands above the rest. Diane Gonwoliku intercepts Keaton Slovis in overtime on a diving effort. Chaz Ayu tipped the ball up, and BYU beats USC. It was reviewed, and Diane Gonwoliku comes up with a pick, and the students stormed the field. Oh, uh, yes, the masses. Yeah, it was, it was a fun day. That was a great play by Diane Gonwoliku. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.